Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today on This Week Health. For many of these big tech companies, the innovation version that they use is go ahead and spend a lot of money and try a bunch of stuff. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. We learned something from that experiment that will roll into our next experiment. Welcome to Newsday, a This Week Health newsroom show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years now, we've been making podcasts to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our Newsday show partners for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to today's show. All right, it's Newsday, and we are going to start the year off with Drex DeFord, which I may have been the same way we ended the year. I'm not entirely sure. You may have been the last show and the first show. How is this happening? How is this going on? Because you're one of my favorite people to talk to about healthcare oh. and healthcare IT. Thanks. So, same. Good holiday season for you? Good. Relatively quiet. I just kind of stayed mostly in place and hung out with friends and family a little bit. But yeah, pretty pretty quiet. How about you? We, it was not quiet. And we had, the house was full for the entire duration. In fact, the house is still full. We're recording on January 3rd. And so the last people leave today, and then this is my wife, and, and then the people come next weekend. <laughs> so it's like, I live in Florida, and one of, the, one of the things about Florida is the weather we have right now for the next three and a half, four months is, I mean, second to none. Essentially, it is like the fall everywhere. The, the fall in the Northeast is like the weather we will have for the next four months here. It's, it's cool enough at night. It's warm enough during the day. And, and people don't know this about Florida, but we actually have a dry season. Like it really doesn't rain hardly at all between January and April. I mean, and then all of a sudden, then we get daily, we get daily downpours. Yeah. Well, I'm coming down to see you soon. I'll be down for the 229 group at the middle of the month. So looking forward to that. A bunch of CIOs getting together and we'll have some good conversation, I think. Yeah, for sure. All right, so this is the Newsday show. So we talk about the news. Let's see. Let's start with something that's not related to healthcare per se, but is related to technology a little bit. Any of your guests impacted by the Southwest? What are we calling it? Snafu? Debacle? What what was that? Yeah, definitely some kind of severe mess up, but but definitely seems to be traceable back to sort of tech investments, right? And decisions not made to invest on infrastructure and other modernization. The reason I love this case study is we could sort of talk about it and sort of rail on it a little bit, and it has correlations to healthcare, right? So Mm. you had had call centers go down, you had scheduling things go down. I mean, literally, like people didn't couldn't figure out whether they were going to be scheduled for this flight. So they had people not showing up. And it was a just a series of cascading effects 
you had the the winter blast that went across most of the country and then it got all their planes out of position and then they just could not recover and then at that time when they needed it the technology just collapsed yeah a lot of systems it sounds like you we're getting it secondhand but it sounds like a lot of systems that were built kind of independent from each other so like you said airplane scheduling versus crew scheduling versus ground crew scheduling versus lots of other things that put the the wrong people in the wrong place and i guess in some cases just things because of the amount of stress that the systems were under the system just couldn't handle capacity and so that was a that was another problem and it is a thing I think we see in healthcare pretty regularly. I'll tell you that most of my CIO jobs probably resulted from somebody who had made underinvestments in the modernization and infrastructure of those organizations. And I'm sure, I mean, this isn't usually sort of like one person's responsible for this. It's the whole organization in many cases being responsible for it. It's definitely the CIO's job, CTO's job to help the organization understand the risks associated with not making investments for modernization and infrastructure upgrades. And and so this will happen eventually, right? I made a post on about this, but the CIO becomes the chief tech debt officer and that is really just one step away from the unemployment line. And so um, you've got to make it really clear that we have these challenges. We need to continue to do modernization. This isn't the most sexy thing that we do in the organization. I know we want to do the cool stuff, but if we don't do the modernization stuff, we're going to wind up in a situation where the cool stuff won't matter because the infrastructure will go down. And you've got to make those got to make those requests clear and regular and document if the organization says no otherwise you'll be the person who takes the fall for it yeah it's 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 interesting these budget you and i've been in the room when the budget conversations happening and then invariably if there's let's say 25 executives 30 executives in the room talking about budgets eventually they'll get to it and they're, they're arguing with each other about everything, but they'll coalesce around this issue that IT spends too much money. Uh-huh. I mean, they, they, it, tends, it tends to happen. And at the end of the day, you, you really do have to be prepared to make the case and make the argument, but even more importantly, to provide the transparency. It's like, hey, you do realize that like 89% of my budget is spent on the delivery of clinical care and the delivery of the patient experience and the clinician experience. And it's like, and they're like, not, you know, prove it. And you should be able to just pull out the information and look, Hey, this is what this costs. This is what this costs. And I, I mean, I'm always telling CIOs transparency is your friend because, sure. because the, the, the numbers back you up. It's like your budget is not for you to go to Tahiti. Your budget is for you to support the mission and the the ministry and the care in your local community, depending on what your orientation is as a health system. And so, yeah, yeah, it, you're 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 running business, clinical, or research products. That's what you've been asked to do to run those things and run them really, really well, and that costs resources. And so, you should be able to really clearly delineate what 
running these systems cost, what's attributable what to what systems. And some of this is just going to be underlying infrastructure stuff. And you should be able to sort of lay that out too. And like I said, like you said, I think transparency is the key to the operation. If you've got a good governance process and you're really transparent about this, then you really should have advocates for and modernizing that those advocates come from clinical research and business operations. They don't want their operations to go down. Yeah. Have you, have you been a part of an organization that does chargebacks? I have, I have not. No, I've, I've not. We've never done. There, there have been situations where I have taken legacy systems that have been replaced, but the CFO wants this legacy system to continue to run for a while. And we have moved the cost of managing, refreshing, whatever that system to the CFO's budget, because it's not really sort of general information services operations requirements at that point. We want to make sure that the pain for that system running comes out of that cost center as opposed to the general cost center of the information services budget. So the places where I could slice things off and charge them back, I did because I want that system out of existence. I don't want to have to run that thing for the next 10 years. And if I don't create some kind of pain, then I would, I'd be stuck with it forever. Yeah. And that creates the problem though, doesn't it? Because if you're not doing chargebacks, it's like, Hey, I want to spend more money. I want to spend more money. I want to spend more money because quite frankly, it's not on my cost center. I don't really see it. It goes on your cost center. That's where that, that challenge, but every CFO of major systems, the larger health systems that I've talked to is like, look, the administrative burden of tracking and administering chargebacks, and you're still going to have tense conversations anyway. So you might as well avoid that cost and just have the difficult conversations, which is you you provide the reporting and the transparency and then say, look, as a group, we have to decide where's the best investment of our money. And I think the thing that really sneaks up on people is the maintenance. Huh. They, they, they think, well, it was only, you know, that, that system was $2 million. I mean, why, why we spent three and a half. It's like, well, it's $2 million to acquire and implement that system. And it's another six or 700,000 to keep it running every year. And yeah. they just look at you like, oh my gosh. I... Yeah. This is why the, in the governance process, you're really clear about not just implementation costs, but the OPEX tail that goes along with that system. And that can include FTEs, maintenance costs, hardware refresh, cloud costs, all those kinds of things. You've, you've got to put that in there because again, transparency and visibility, you want them to understand what they're really biting into, that it's not just the million dollar CapEx investment or the million dollar upfront investment, but it's actually much more than that over the next five years. If you can lay that out for them, it really helps everybody make a better decision because they it also creates the business clinical or research leader who is the advocate, who is the lead for that project. The CFO then starts to put pressure on them for, so tell me about the ROI. How many FTEs are we going to be able to eliminate in year number two because you've, you've implemented the system? Or how much more revenue are we going to collect in year one because you've implemented the system? Then it lets the CFO also put that on the books as a prediction 
which again, creates much more tight ownership by the business clinical or research leader to the system implementation to make sure that it's done quickly and it's done right and workflow processes are changed to help out, help facilitate the, the system use and system optimization, that they do all the things they're supposed to do as the person who really owns those IT projects, especially when it comes to, you know, business system or clinical system implementation. Yes, sure. You're giving me, you're giving me some PTSD, man. This is- I know, uh, I will. It is interesting. The uh, this this really does support the case that the CIO has to be good at, at wear a lot of different hats, and one of them is, quite frankly, as a pretty sophisticated financial analyst and somebody who really understands it. In 2023, we are celebrating five years at This Week Health. And we are working to give back and we will be partnering this year with Alex's Lemonade Stand all year long. As you know, having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. At Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, they understand the personal side of the diagnosis, the resources needed, and the impact that funded research can have for better treatments and more cures. Today, Alex's Lemonade Stand is one of the leading funders of pediatric cancer research in the U.S. and Canada, funding more than a thousand research projects and providing programs to families affected by childhood cancer. You can get more information about them at alexslemonade.org. So how are we going to partner? Well, the leadership team and myself personally, we have put some money aside to really fund the start of this. Uh, but what we're looking for is partners, right? So we're going to ask our partner our partners, our sponsors to be a part of this. We're going to ask you to be a part of this. And some of the ways that you can help contribute is we're going to have drives throughout the year. We're going to have follower drives, followers of the show, followers of our LinkedIn channel, Twitter channel, YouTube channel, you name it. We're going to have these drives. And as part of those drives, we're going to ask people to be a part of putting donations towards Alex's Lemonade Stand. There's going to be many opportunities this year. So keep an eye out all year long to see how you can support Alex's Lemonade Stand. You can find more information out on our website, thisweekhealth.com. You can also check out Alex's Lemonade Stand again at alexslemonade.org. And if you go to our website, their logo is going to be on our homepage on the top right-hand corner. We're celebrating our five-year anniversary, and we want to continue to give back to the community. So we welcome you to be a part of it and looking forward to seeing what we can do this year. But tis the season, and the season is top 10 this, top 10 that. We're going to go off of Healthcare IT News has their top 10 Healthcare IT News stories for 2022. And so it gives us a chance to sort of look back on the past year and see what what was transpiring and sort of discuss, is this still going on and, and will this be something we have to deal with as we move forward? So their number one story for the year was they did a report that 90% of nurses are considering leaving the profession in the next year. This was clearly a story in 2022, 90% seems wildly high from just all the other stuff I've read, but it's not it's not way off. It's definitely above 50%. But I mean, I think you've got to think, well, what does that mean? Like 90% of nurses 
are probably thinking right now, if I had another good opportunity that was as interesting as what I do today and fit into my mission orientation, I might consider leaving nursing, right? Or, or doing something else. So yeah, that's, that's huge. Yeah. So nursing, let's talk about it from a health IT lens here. We know this has always been a challenge. Staffing, clinical staffing, specifically around nurses, has always been a challenge. What do you, I mean, I know what I'm, what I'm thinking about right now is automation. How are we going to automate it? How are we going to take fewer people and still get the work done and provide the level of care that we need to provide? I mean, I, I, I assume that's the thought process. And then what areas could we potentially augment the loss of staff in the nursing arena. Yeah. I think the other part of this too is just the amount of burnout that we see in clinical staff. I mean, they've been pretty severely beaten up over the last three years or so. And I think that's why a lot of them are are thinking about leaving. There's also sort of a, my wife's a nurse. And so I am, do I say this? Sure. That I feel like I'm sort of pretty well integrated into the nurse mafia in a lot of ways in the Seattle area. And I think they they feel like they are they're beat up not not just by the amount of stuff and amount of patients that are that are coming at them, but also sometimes the abuse from patients and the lack of support that they have from their leadership. And so all of that kind of conspires to to make them think about what are their other options. And I think if enough of them kind of go down that path, you're right. We're going to kind of have to come up with better, more automated ways to help them, to help the job get done, maybe without yeah. more uh, nurses in the mix. I did see a couple of named health systems come out throughout the year and essentially side very strongly with clinical staff and say, this is the behavior that will be acceptable towards our staff. And yeah. essentially said to the patients, hey, no more, no more just lashing out at the nurses or any of the caregivers. It's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable anywhere. And you know what, it's, it's also not acceptable here. We're here to care for you. We're gonna do that with compassion. But if you cross a line, we are going to essentially become a mash unit for you, which is stitch you up and send you somewhere else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of physical and emotional abuse that occurs. And look, in the grand scheme of things, my empathy is everywhere. If you're in the hospital and you're in the ICU and your family is there, this is probably one of the worst days of their lives too, right? So they're also emotionally distraught. They're they're worked up. They, they're trying to get answers. They're trying to understand what's happening to their loved one. And, and I understand that, but there is definitely a, feels to me like an uptick in the, in the amount of, um, the amount of abuse that clinical staff takes these days. Not, not great for anyone involved, including the quality of the care for the patient. Yeah. Here's, here's one of my favorite stories of the year. Larry Ellison on healthcare data fragmentation. We're going to solve this problem. I have to love his enthusiasm, have to really not like knowledge of history, walking in saying he's going to solve the problems that have ailed healthcare for years. But that is one of the big stories for this year. So 
Oracle's acquisition of Cerner and the promises that they are making. What's your what's your view of the EHR market at this point in time? Well, I mean, I, to the Oracle thing, I guess I would say I love the attitude and I hope it's true. But like you, I have a lot of battle scars from vendors who have said, we're going to do these things and then not actually being able to follow through on the things that they have said that they've sort of committed to, maybe for lots of reasons, but some of it sort of boils down to this is harder than it looks. So I'm I'm rooting for them. I hope they can do all the things that they say they're going to do, but I will also kind of hold my judgment until I actually see some of the stuff happen. The EHR market, otherwise, what what where are you going with that? What do you what do you think? Well, uh, I, so so Ellison's vision, I think that he painted back in when was this? It was in the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. It was like July time frame or whatever. But his vision was essentially a national EHR database, right? So Cerner, for the most part, is hosted. They're cloud based. They're going to move to the Oracle cloud. They know how to use data. They're going to integrate all that data and pull it together. So if you show up at any Cerner facility, essentially you're looking at a national EHR database. That was his his model. And we're seeing more and more of that consolidation. Where am I going? Every year I like to look at the EHR market. And and I don't think, look, I don't think people are going to listen to this and go, oh my gosh, I I have to change my EHR. Because, you know, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars to do that investments in time, workflow, and other things. But as I look at it, 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 it would appear to be Epic's getting stronger. You're still reading about migrations to Epic. You had Atrium finish up an Epic implementation, moving away from Cerner. I think, if anything, Meditech's getting stronger, oddly enough. I think the people who use Meditech realize that it's a, it's a very cost-effective solution for running a certain size hospital, and then to yep. throw that into a sort of a tailspin, you have HCA who announced, hey, we're going with Meditech Expanse, and they're actually gonna migrate some sites off of Epic onto Meditech Expanse. And part of that is their for-profit system. They can't afford the the ongoing, we talked about maintenance earlier, the ongoing, the, the tax of running Epic has to be offset with a lot of efficiencies. And what they've done is they've looked at it and said, we don't see that much efficiency gain over what we're running today in moving to Epic to really make sense to pay that tax of running it. And I, at that point, I'm, I'm looking at those two horses, Meditech, which has been around forever, and Epic, which has been around forever. Meditech finally has an integrated ambulatory and acute system, and it's cloud-based and whatnot. So I think those two have really solidified their positions and have sort of established their markets. And I'm a little concerned for Oracle Cerner in that, I mean, I don't hear any momentum in their direction other than the government contract. Other than the government stuff, yeah. So do we wind up with sort of like a federal government, military, VA health system that runs Oracle Cerner and a lot of the rest of the world that runs Epic Meditech? And then the other thing I would say is like, there's still dozens of other little electronic health record, I mean, little in comparison to the big ones, electronic health record companies who run in 
clinics and surgery centers and that are that are doing quite well in their specialty niche. And so there's still a big challenge about where most Americans get their health care, which is at a frontline dock somewhere and the EHR that's used there. It's not always, we like to think of it as being mostly Meditech or Oracle or Epic, but it's a, it's a whole bunch of different stuff. And so there's still a big integration, data integration challenge. Is, and, and actually, you just made the case that I made when I was a CIO, and they were saying, "Look, we we have to go to one EHR across all of our all of our practices and acute ambulatory everything." And I'm like, "At the end of the day, we're still going to have to solve this problem because we're not going to be able to dictate, especially in some of our markets. We we had a clinically integrated network that was outside. We could not dictate this is your EHR and you must go to it in order to practice at this hospital, and so it was always going to be." It was always going to be fragmented. So we still had to solve the problem. Not that it wouldn't have solved other problems, but we still had to solve that problem. Yeah. The next story they have is all scripts to sell hospital and large physician practice assets. At this point, it looks like they're just piecemealing out all scripts and selling off, selling it for parts. And uh, I mean, I really have nothing to say about that other than that. Yeah. Their next biggest story is why does big tech often fail in healthcare? They, they obviously talked about IBM and they talked about Google's early and Microsoft's early initiatives into healthcare and how they you know, had health fault and whatnot. And, but I, to be honest with you, they, we tend to focus in on the failure of big tech and healthcare, but they keep at it. They're like the Energizer Bunny. They keep coming back with different approaches and different models and some really the Amazon acquisition of one medical that's a pretty significant deal microsoft is is heavily used by i can't think of a health system that's not using them but by most health systems using their platforms a lot of a lot of them are using azure we saw epic and azure take a big move google search bar is now integrated into the meditech expanse platform and they they just keep coming back in a lot of different forms. It's like they're learning and they're persistent. I think it's the culture, right? It, a lot of this for many of these big tech companies, the innovation version that they use is go ahead and spend a lot of money and try a bunch of stuff. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. We learned something from that experiment that will roll into our next experiment. And so we're used to seeing, I think in healthcare companies, come into healthcare and be in healthcare for a really long time. And we wind up trusting them because they've been in healthcare for a really long time. But a lot of the big tech companies really are much more centered on this idea of try and try and try and try again. And it's okay if you fail. That's not really failure. That was a learning experiment that we're going to roll into our next attempt. And so it's just a different way of looking at the world. All right, we're doing webinars a little different this year. As we have told you, got a lot of feedback from the community about what works, what doesn't work. We talked to our advisors, our CIO, CMIO advisors, and they said, hey, look, community-generated topics, great contributors, not product-focused. They want the questions ahead of time so that they can incorporate them into their answers. And they want a forum that is honest and open. And what we decided was once and done, 
If you're at the webinar, you get to hear the content. If not, it's not on demand. You don't get to download it later. We're going to do it on a consistent date and time. And our next one coming up is February 2nd. It is priorities for 2023. And this one is around academic medical centers. And we have some great leaders who are going to come in and discuss the priorities for 2023. We already have Donna Roach lined up. We have Dr. Michael Pfeffer with Stanford lined up. We're going to continue to just bring great content, community-generated topics, and keep the, the discussion going. If you have feedback, love to hear it. And if there is any questions you have, go ahead and fill out the registration form and you have a space there to give us your questions ahead of time. We want to make sure that we cover the topics that are of interest to you. Website, top right-hand corner, sign up today. Love to see you there. Let me let me read off the rest of these. I'll read off some of these stories. Sure. And I, I want to get to the poll that I put out there this morning because I think I'd love, I'd love for us to just hit that because it's more forward-looking. Epic launches SaaS aimed at independent medical groups. That's the smaller systems that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Garden Plat software. IBM sold Watson to Francisco Partners, and that will reemerge likely this year in all of its glory. And then can Oracle make Cerner's EHR sing? CIOs and analysts chime in. And so a lot of these big tech stories get a lot of hits. And I think that's one of the reasons you see you see so many of those stories out and it gets such uh, such press. So I put out a poll this morning and as we look forward, Drex, here's the forward leaning poll. What will drive healthcare providers priorities? What will be the primary driver for healthcare providers priorities in 2023? And I had four potential answers. If you know anything about the LinkedIn polls, you only get four potential answers. So Financial pressure was the one I put. I have financial pressure, disruption from new competitors, patient experience, or worker shortages and and the worker experience. Those were the four options. For you, I'll even throw in here cybersecurity. Which do you think will be the primary financial driver going into 2023? Yeah, I, I mean, I think just the financial pressure. What was? How did you phrase the first one? Yeah, financial pressure. Financial pressure. I think the financial pressure, which in the spirit of like tactics, strategy for lunch, I think there are a lot of things that health systems want to do. But I think the figuring out how to get through the year, depending on, and, and this is really different for a lot of different health systems is one of the things I've learned over the last several years as an independent consultant and then working with CrowdStrike is that, um, Different health systems in different markets are definitely having different experiences when it comes to financial and financial issues. It's easy to sort of generalize and say healthcare is under a lot of financial stress, but there are definitely health systems who are hanging in there and uh, and doing okay. So I think the answer to the poll probably is it depends on the health system and the market that you're talking about. But realistically, I know you're asking sort of a universal question and. For me, I think it's financial pressures and how the organization deals with those financial pressures will help drive their decisions about the other items you have in the poll. Yeah, it's it's it, of the four that are in there, financial pressures at 55%, worker shortages and worker experiences at 31%. And I think I agree with that too. I think clearly we can walk and chew gum. We don't have to, but I'm just saying, which of these do you think will drive the activity? And those two make up, 86%. We are six hours into the a three-day poll. Wow. 
Yeah, so clearly that's top of mind. Our, our workers are, we're worried about burnout. We're worried about shortages. We're worried, we cannot deliver care without caregivers. And so that has to be top of mind. But along with that has to be, hey, you know what? We need to, we need to take care of these people. And part of taking care of these people is increases in wages to match inflation. And uh, that will generate financial pressure. So I yeah, the spirit of everything is connected to everything else, right? Yeah, the financial pressures are tied to the people. Are we going to renegotiate contracts with nurses and do all the other things that we need to do to make it a great place to work? All that costs money too. Yeah. But this makes it a great year for big tech and healthcare because disruption and new competition is at four percent of the of the vote so far, which means hey, they're going to get another year of really not being looked at and keep doing, keep doing what you're doing, get smarter, get better at delivering what you're delivering because the healthcare, it's like healthcare providers today are looking elsewhere. They have other. We've sort of talked about this as healthcare organizations in many cases are kind of like big whales. They're burdened with a lot of the things that they have built over the years from facilities to automated information system infrastructure and a lot of the big tech companies are really like sharks and they're they're going to take small bites out of that whale in places where it makes the most sense for them. And those are things that can be highly automated and turned into routines and AI insertions can be done and, and all those kinds of things. They're not going to take on the whole thing at once. They're Again, going back to that big tech story, I think they're going to try a lot of stuff, figure out things that work pretty quickly, and move those into their portfolio for the future. Drex, it's always great to get together with you. And I, I'm going to be wearing the glasses more, so people who are watching on video, I, I've decided to stop pretending that I can see and now wear my glasses to look at my computer. <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah, I'm at that, at that age. So, hey, now we, we both have matching glasses. We're in good, good shape. Thanks again for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the event in a couple of weeks. Should be uh, should be fun. I'll see you soon. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. And that is the news. If I were a CIO today, I would definitely have every one of my team members listening to the shows like these. If you want to support the show, This Week Health, tell someone about our channels. We have three, This Week Health, conference, This Week Health Newsroom, which is what you just listened to, and This Week Health Community. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify. You get the picture. We are everywhere. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter as well. You can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com. We want to thank our Newsday partners who invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.